welcome to the Hue You Know podcast, where we discuss all things relative to media and entertainment, all designed to support our career growth, from networking to breaking in the industry to climbing up the ranks. Whether you're a newbie in this industry or a veteran, this podcast is for you. My name is Shirley Renee Williams, and I am your host, executive producer, director extraordinaire. And not only do I love this industry that we work in, amazing stories that impact our industry for the better and make the world a better place, but I get to do it with some of the best creatives on your planet. And in this series, which I'm calling Lessons for the Culture, we're bringing some of those great masterminds to the light so they can share their wisdom, insight, games, and lessons learned for the culture. Okay, 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 okay. I'm so excited, Hugh, because we're here with someone who, Anika, every time we get on our calls and I see you and you speak and you do your thing, I'm always like, oh, I admire her. I admire her. Yes, I was just watching Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart on HBO. Have you seen it? No, yeah. I've seen it, but I heard that it's so good. Yeah, so good. And she talked about admiration, and she helped me to reframe it in a way that I'd never thought about it before. But what she said was that admiration, when you admire someone, you're not saying like, oh, I want to be like that person. But when you admire someone, you're saying, oh, that person makes me want to be a better version of myself. Mm. I was like, oh. So oh, that's a wonderful compliment. Thank you. That's so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I have had many of strong women, men included, who have inspired me, as you just put it. But to be the best version of yourself, because you know, like my my grandmother always told me, you know, don't try to be somebody else; they're already taken. You know, be you. Be the best version of you. And that's where we feel like we're continuously on a journey of trying to grow into the best self, right? And taking bits and pieces of things that we learn along the way in our journey, whether it's professional or personal, to be that best self. Yeah. So I, I take that. Thank you. And, you know, and pass it on, honestly, because that's how, you know, we empower and support each other. Absolutely. Well, speaking about the best version of Miss Anika, Anika Hilton Donaldson serves as the Director of Development for National Geographic Channel, where she develops talent, authentic character, driven stories, concepts and formats for National Geographic Channel and on the Disney Plus platforms. Anika is a founding and board member of NORDC, a business employee resource group at National Geographic and also a member of the Blackbird Advisory Council at Disney, working with key stakeholders and executives supporting initiatives around diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's a member of NAMIC and WICT and other professional organizations, including Real Screen and Television Academy. Did I say it right? You did. You did. You got all of them, you know, and it's always very humbling and awkward to hear people talk about the things you've done, but it's nice. It's nice to kind of reflect. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a part of that. Oh yeah, I did that. 
I did do that thing. Did you go to real screen this year? This year, no. Um, I've kind of been the chosen one to go many years in the past. And this year, I bow to a couple of other colleagues to represent us there just because I was just in LA just two weeks before real screen happened and, and spent a week meeting clients and producers as well as some agents and so forth. So that's the only reason I passed. And because from, I heard from some folks that it was a little bit more subdued than we've had in past years, just with the whole pandemic and everybody trying to get back up to speed. But I plan to go to the next one, which I think is going to be in Austin. So I will be there representing for sure. Yeah, it's going to be in Austin next uh, next year. I went for the first time this year, and it was what interesting. It was a very... I um I I loved being around my peers and my colleagues. Okay. I loved meeting new people. I loved talking with creatives and talking to people who work in different facets of our space. Like I was, you know, there's people who work in like data analytics mm -hmm. and learning and understanding how they do things. There's commissioners, people who work in distribution, creative producers. So like spending so much time and talking and learning about their worlds within our world and how it functions and how they do what they do and what they look what they're looking for that was really really cool it was it was a good experience good i am glad you got that because i'll say this as someone who is either experiencing it for the first time it's a great thing to do at least once or more than once um just to it's a great networking opportunity to meet people in your field, whether they work directly in your role or not. This is how you learn business, right? This is how you learn the business of being a buyer, a seller, a researcher, and other content creators in that space and understanding audience too, what people are looking for, who's the competition out there and being able to see. I mean, often for us, from the perspective of being a buyer, we go and it's nonstop pitches all day long and meeting folks and it can be a bit exhausting but it's also you get those nuggets you look forward to hearing the sparks of the new talent hearing the sparks of the new ideas that you haven't heard before and meeting new storytellers so that part is exciting and hearing about it but going in for a first experience or learning and meeting new people i think is always something you want to embrace in this industry it continues to help you grow yeah that was the part i love the most the, the constant pitching, right? Because people are like, they're on, they're ready. They, you never know who you're talking to. you like, this might be my chance. Yeah, you so gotta everybody. Elevator pitch ready. You got to have it ready. Ready. Everybody is trying to sell something. And by the time I left, because it's, it's what, like three or four days, and they're jam-packed days. There's panels, there's workshops, there's seminars from sun up to sundown. There's, there's mixers, there's everything. So by the time I left real screen, I think I slept for a day and I am, I am an extrovert. I, I can talk all day from sun up to sundown. I have a lot of personality and a lot to say, but it was very, very tiring. I told my team, I was like, yeah, next year, someone else can go. I've done it. This is at my ministry. This is, this is for somebody else. I love else. that. Not this my ministry, but you know what? I am not an extrovert. I have become one and have to be one in the nature of the work that I do. But often with that, you expel so much energy because you're going through that so that by the time the last drinks or meetups are done, I am back in the hotel with 
the dark shades closed and just crashing because I have zapped all energy that I have in me, honestly. It is that kind of a thing. You're on the super highs and you got to bring yourself right back down. Ooh. So you're taking in so much information. You're like, and I, I love to learn. I, I also love experiences like that because I like to immerse myself into the experience. So it was great. I, I recommend it's very, I also, I want to find a way where we can get more people of color there because um, first of all, it's so expensive. It's a, the tickets are very expensive. And a lot of times the people that are coming right there, their, their production company, their network signed it off. And then you have to, you got to get a ticket. You got to pay for a flight. You got to pay for housing. It's, so it's a costly it's thing. Um, but like you yeah. Yeah, it's expensive, but like you said, it is it's where you go and learn business. But if we're not in spaces like this, if we don't have access to it or finances to help to right to foot the bill, how can we get in? How can we learn the business? How can we be in here rubbing elbows and meeting people who who can help us excel and get to the next place when it's there is a there's a, a gap there. Yeah. But that's my next yeah. step to figure out how to get more people in there. I think that's a wonderful way yeah. of thinking about it, especially as an independent producer. If you're not aligned with a network or a production company, or you're not an agent or part of an agency and you're an independent, it is very costly and you have to see it as an investment. You know, if this is your career, your profession, you're chasing it, I would say just a piece of, of advice, come armed with multiple pitches not just that one ideally and also know the brands that you are trying to get to buy that idea right because ideally most folks this is your opportunity not having that easy access or having an agent come to navigate or negotiate a meeting for you with a network or with um, a production company it's ideal if you can align yourself with someone it makes it a little bit easier to get that meeting but if you're going to do kind of the series pitching offers that they have at real screen where you get to meet certain brands and networks whatever idea you're shaping it's not a one size fits all know the ones that you are going to be marketing this idea because that network wants to know that this is a distinct and very unique idea that's specifically made for them it may not be you know you might be selling your idea to me and discovery or possibly to hgtv depending on what the idea is or travel channel but if it's in the space of travel or if it's in the space of building homes or if it's in the space of a new talent that is just very experienced in the outdoors, know those unique specificities of the brand that's going to make it sellable, you know, so that they're going to have an interest peaked on it. So I say that do your homework on that so that it's worth the financial investment of paying for all the things that you mentioned to go to an event like that. I love what you said about it is an investment right? Like I'm one of, I invest in myself so much. I, I invest in my physical body, making sure that if I have to spend the money to get the, the best food to put in it, that's what I'm going to do. I make sure, right. With gym memberships, with, with my mind, with books, with podcasts, I do what I have to do to invest in myself holistically. I, I meet a lot of people who who have a lot of considerations around investing in themselves in this context where, you know, they, they say, and I get it, I get it, right? Like it's, 
for a lot of people can be hard to go to a produced by to go to a Tribeca and all these other places where you can you can meet people you can network you can learn it's it gives you instantaneous access what advice do you have that can maybe inspire a mind sh mindset shift to help them help people see the benefit in investing in self in that way? I would say, you know, in terms of thinking how you approach your career, I think that's a part of the, the shift. You can either choose for things to happen to you or you go out and get them, right? And I think that's a part of the shift. Am I going to be complacent or wait for this opportunity? I'm working within a network and I hope they're going to recognize me or they're going to see the hard work I'm putting into this versus, no, I'm going to go out to this particular event or I'm going to petition my supervisor or manager to say, I really want to go to this event based on some of the develop career development you know, things that I have on my list of what I want to do. I want to be able to represent in this particular event, or I want to participate in something like a NAMIC or in a WICT or some of these other organizations that have conferences where I can use that to network. So between networking and that career development side of what you're trying to do for yourself, or if you're a content creator and want to go to things like Real Screen or Beth or some of these other places where you can sell your idea, then you have to see it as an investment. You have to see it as what am I willing to put in financially as well as time commitment to be able to take myself to where I see myself in my career, you know, as opposed to waiting? Because often I will get things like, and I'll throw it at you, I'll get people, you know, and I am always the one to mentor, to support, to help however I can. I completely subscribe to that in every way that I can because people did that for me. But all I ask is that people come with that same level of commitment. I can't be more invested in your career growth and where you want to be than you, you know, so come to me with a plan, come to me with specific questions on how you want to execute on that plan. And then I can advise you in that I'll offer the guidance, but you have to come with a plan. So that is the mind shift in terms of owning your career, owning where you want to be in your career, and then someone can help guide you in the steps to executing on it. And so that's where I say in terms of just shifting, being an advocate for yourself versus kind of being complacent or waiting for things to happen for you to really be empowered to take that step. Um, so that would be my advice. I love that. That's the difference from making things happen versus letting things happen. Um, okay, so speaking about plan, <laughs> You are an HBCU alum. I gotta shout that out. You know, this is HU all day over here. You know, I gotta say it. I gotta say it for all my Howard alums out there, all my Howard graduates. Shout out to you. Love my HBCU. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So you got a BFA in musical theater I did. at Howard. I did. Yeah. So what, what okay, was the plan okay, then? No plan. No, I'm kidding. I had a plan. And see, this just shows you your path is not linear. It, it, it can deviate in so many different ways, but it's up to you to figure out how that path can pivot and that what that next pivot is and what's, where's the purpose in that pivot, right? So I went to IMDC 
Um, you know, grew up in D.C., went to Duke Ellington School of the Arts. Actually, I was just there the other day, and I'm very much involved in it. I have a scholarship that comes out of there through the Ellington Fund. I invest. And so when I say I mentor and I give back and I try to be present and support those who are coming behind me, I mean it. Um, you know, and went back there for a dedication. One of our former alums who was a part of the class ahead of me, but a part of a circle of friends, um, Dave Chappelle, they were um, going to be... Um, announcing the naming of the theater there in his name. And I went as another alum of so many others to support that event and to see him and just connect with a lot of the other my other classmates. So as a part of that, musical theater was where that started at Ellington. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to be performing. I love performing, love singing, being on stage. I was all about that life, okay? Took that to Howard. Fully got into it, was excited, did it through my first two years, fully, fully, fully. And it wasn't until I, I remember Henry Edmonds, my professor, God rest her soul, she's passed on now. Her and Vera Katz took their classes in acting there, as well as Mike Ballone in musical theater at Howard Fine Arts, and learned from them that they always would say it's business show. So put business before show. You can be a performer, but know the business of what you're doing. And so that shift for me was like, okay, what does that look like in terms of what my life plan is? And before that, I didn't really have it. And I was like, okay, I like auditioning. I like performing, but how, what does this life look like? Do I have that diehard passion for it that I'm willing to live off of oodles and noodles, sleep on someone's couch and do couch surfing? That was not the life that I envisioned for myself. So I had to be honest and say, okay, I don't have that level of passion and dedication to it. I love it, but it is you need more than that to be as successful. So how much are you willing to invest, commit to this journey versus what are you really wanting to do? What are you most passionate about? And then I just started taking classes at the School of Communications, learning how I started stage managing doing more directing of some of the shows that we had at Howard Fine Arts at the Ira Aldrich Theater. And then I started taking classes down at the School of Communications, radio and video production. And I was like, this is it. I want to produce. I want to direct. This is, this is it. You feel the passion. You're excited about what you're doing. I felt like I could see that long-term goal and then pursued it just pursued it um, and then continued from there and went on to get my master's because I was like, I don't really know this business as well as I think I do. These couple of classes is not enough and started doing independent films and so forth from there. And the rest is history. I can say that that's where you can see pivots and you have to be willing to be honest with yourself about what you're truly passionate about and how much you're willing to sacrifice and commit yourself to do to get to where you want to be. And um, a lot of guidance from different people along the way, but kind of owning a lot of that and going after what I wanted, you know, which was to direct and to produce. And I use a lot of what I took from the arts. It's a full part of everything I do. It helps me in choosing talent and how I direct voiceover sessions, how I do field production, you know, how I direct people in, you know, interviews that I do for different projects. And then even now in my creative development, it's a part of how I see series, how I see story based on what I saw as a performer, you know, on stage and how plays and, and scenes are constructed. I take that into the scripts and scenes that I have in series that I do now. So it's all transferable, but you got to be passionate about what you want to do.
Yeah. So I actually, I went to uh, the New York Conservatory of Dramatic Arts and I studied on camera acting for two years and it has been just so beneficial. Like you, it helps to inform how I work with actors, how I work with talent, because I've, I've been in their shoes. I know, I know what to give them in order to get what I need. Right. Like, so I, I know, you know, I, it informs how I work with my DP and how I help the talent work with the camera. So it has been one of the best, one of the best yeah. teachers, one of the best teachers. Um, we, so there's this thing now, and I always love hearing people's perspective who've, who've actually gone to college and gotten degrees. We live in this world of like YouTube university and and lynda.com and all these websites where if you want to learn a thing you can just go on there and the internet will teach you do you think that do you think that college is still necessary do you think it's necessary to go to afi and get a degree in in directing or yeah and no two journeys are the same right I have had, you know, I could have potentially gone on and not gone to get my master's degree and could have somehow found my way into directing. The path might have been slightly different because you have to do a lot more hands-on experience. And I wanted to be able to do it in a somewhat controlled environment where I could get the right skills and tools taught. Because oftentimes when you do get yourself out there um, and say, okay, I'm going to either, which would be ideal, apprentice under someone who is doing it, someone who's willing to kind of guide you and have you shadow them, or be some, a production coordinator or a field production coordinator to learn and kind of follow. But sometimes you're not given the opportunity to do that because you're so invested in what your day job is that you don't get to deviate from that. So it makes it hard to kind of transition. And the hard part too sometimes is people can only see you the way that they see you. So if they see you as a coordinator, it's hard for them to see you take a leap in becoming a producer even, much less to be a director. So for me, coming out of a fully kind of fine arts background, I needed a bit more of that skill because I learned how to edit. I learned how to do directing and producing in a film, you know, a couple of films before I even then went to work in the real world where I could use that as applicable skills to say, oh no, I've actually done it here and then ended up doing other internships that allowed me to get more hands-on experience and then take it in there. So if either of the two, if someone is kind of questioning, well, really you get a degree in a master's area if you wanna teach, yes, that is true. Or either choose to find an apprentice or someone that will really, who's doing it, that you can learn closely from, or you potentially try to get yourself within a project you know, that is going to allow you a bit more freedom to try on different roles because it's either very lean, you know, so that you can potentially try your hand at some of that, or you have someone that's going to guide you. But if not, then school is another option because they do also have programs that are not full MFA programs or full um, arts programs in the master's level that you can do that's less than two years. You can do a certification for directing and producing through different organizations that does exist as well. That's less and not as expensive. So how did we get to Nat Geo? So 
I'll say I've worked at Natio now. January, it will be 10 years. I was like, whoa, where did that time go? Yeah, so I've been at Natio for 10 years. And before going into executive creative development where I am now, I worked in the studios team. So like I'd mentioned, I was a producer, you know, writer, as well as doing executive producing once I kind of moved up in levels working within that geo. But before that, I worked at Discovery for almost about nine years, almost 10 years. So I'd been in the network television space with a lot more experience in terms of brand launches. So that actually, when I spoke about knowing business, that was huge in terms of understanding business. So as a content creator, if I don't know who my audience is, and if I don't know why they need this type of show on the network, it makes it hard for me to creatively come up with what's going to make sense because I know the network is interested in it. So understanding that side of the business, okay, what is this new audience they're trying to capture? Who, what are the type of stories that this audience wants to see? And then who are some of the talent that might pique an interest based on the type of brand that this is and what kind of area, the space, genre space that they're in, and then shape it around that. So for me, working between working at Discovery and then at Nat Geo, it was a little bit more of a seamless transition to Nat Geo because if I've been at Discovery, I'll tell you this, it's a very symbiotic relationship. We have a lot of folks that go back and forth because the brand's has a lot of similarities in natural history in some regards, as well as some animal shows and stories that it tells, but also that kind of broader, you know, general entertainment kind of space they're both in. So for me, just doing natural history storytelling, which I had done quite a bit of, was a, a bit more seamless transition to get to Nat Geo. Yeah. And then work my way up. And these, these were always staff jobs? These were, well, actually at Nat Geo starting out, we used to have kind of a contractor. When you come in as a producer, um, oftentimes they'll bring you in, at least within the NG Studios infrastructure, they bring you in as uh, a contractor, essentially, but what they call full-time contractor, you know, where it's not like per job that you might be hired in a smaller production company to do versus your full-time staff, but you're not technically working for, in this case, we work for Disney. You work for whoever they have that third-party contract with that hires all of their producers and, you know, editors might fall under that bucket as well. Yeah. So that's how they usually do it. But if you're lucky enough, you can come in as staff, but it just depends on how many heads they have open and available for you to apply for. Got it. So you came into Nat Geo, you are this creative producer. So how did you like work your way up the ladder? So I'll say when I came into Nat Geo, producing was kind of the direction under, we call it now Nat Geo um, Studios team. It was at one point, I think production services, which is similar to the role that I had done, but I had managed a team at Discovery in that same space. And it was a bit more post-production, but prior to discovery, I had done field production. So I had a bit of both worlds and it really gave me a more well-rounded perspective on what the business of network television was and, and how it ran and the type of shows and the formats of shows and how things get on air through operations and post-editing, all of that. So then when I got to Nat Geo, 
the creative side in me was always kind of bubbling. Again, coming back from a place where I've always been a creative. I'm a storyteller, singer, and stage person. So I needed that. I needed to be more than operations. I needed to be more than just post and kind of managing people. And so as I was doing more shows, an opportunity came up because I had done a lot of brand launches. So essentially when I was at Discovery working in operations on that end with post services, I was a part of the launch of some new networks that were popping up at Discovery. So understanding what the logo needed to look like and working with the creative teams to kind of execute on that. And okay, this is a new network. How many shows do we need? What type of shows do we need to meet that audience in doing those? So HD theater, which is called, I think, Velocity now and Planet Green and, you know, uh, Science Channel and uh, 3Net, Military Channel, ID, Investigation Discovery, all a part of brand launches I did there. Nat Geo had the opportunity. They wanted to bring, they had Nat Geo Wild, which is natural history, but they wanted to get more kids and family. We have a lot of products and books that are around kids. And then they said, okay, we want to have an online as well as a TV presence with kids content. And I was like, hey, I've done a lot of brand launches before. I'll throw my name out there. And they came to me and said, hey, would you like to kind of lead the efforts in doing this? So I was like, sure, want to do this. Didn't really know what it was going to look like, but I'd already had some of that previous experience in terms of, okay, what is the, the logo? What are the tent pole shows that we want to stand out for this network? So again, the business side and understanding the audience, who we're trying to target, what's the age demo? At the time we were looking at, I think, ages six to 12. What do they like? How do they consume content? So another part of that kind of vision was let's create a YouTube channel. That's where at the time, this was like in 2016, 2017, this is where they're consuming a lot of that content. We need to match the interest level, what kind of shows, what's the duration that we need to hit that they're going to have that attention span to want to watch. How do we then translate that to the network platform so that in linear, they'll stick around, you know, we can't give them full hours, two hour type of content, but let's give them a mixture of all of that in between that window that we had. So that was a part of the strategy coming up with what can also be franchisable. What are the products that we have that we can possibly translate into video content? So I was like, all right, what are the top books? that we sell for kids content brought in a team i was able to get some money we were working on shoestring now you know anytime you start out with a new brand they want to give you what's in the seat cushions to try to get the shows on air and you got to work with what you get and then once you've kind of proven something then budgets get a bit bigger you can kind of expand a little bit more on your team to try to execute on it. But the goal first was to say, okay, how can we make a big splash with this so that it can be recognized? Fast forward over the next four to five years, once we had the kind of Nacho kids brand up and running, had a team of about four or five who were doing original production. I think we produced like over 450 probably about 400 hours of content over that time period. And that was creating content that was 30 seconds, one minute, three minutes, eight minutes. I think nothing we had in succession was more than say 15 to 22 minutes. 
just because I knew the attention span was so limited for that age group. And then we created the kids block and we just spliced it with all of those different lengths of content because I'm like, they're going to be on their laptop. They're going to be playing with their, their brother or sister. They'll watch this for 30 seconds. Let's throw some jokes in there. Let's throw some animation in there. Let's do some new characters that are resonating. Young females, young girls were the ones we were also really trying to target. Let's come up with a series that captures an interest for them. So all of that came into the big soup of how we were selling it, but more importantly, couching it around existing product, which was our books. And so that was what we kind of created. And over the five years, we won a few awards for kids from Kids Screen. We were nominated for a Emmy Award. We were we received um, the Parents Choice Awards. I think we received another award. So we got several awards over that period in growing this new kind of venture. But to that point, some of my arts background came into that because I had to, we had to come up with some fun things. We got, had to come up with things that kids could sing along with. Everybody knows the baby shark song. We had to have our baby shark of some sort. You know, we had to come up with something that was catchy, things that they would want to tell their, their friends, little jokes and things like that. So all of it was transferable into this opportunity, but it also proved through that I could not only manage a team, which I had done before at Discovery, but I could take creative into something that was kind of brand sustainable and grow this area of business that we wanted, which was kids and family into something more. So yeah, all of that to say, that's kind of how I grew in my experience, producing, then managing a team, launching a brand, and then ultimately getting the opportunity to say, hey, you did creative stuff over there. Would you be interested in joining our executive creative development team? This is so dope. Like, this is so dope. Okay. So yeah. <laughs> I have so many questions. I got to narrow it down because I know I have limited time with you. But okay, which what am I going to go for first? So as, is that still the same? Like as director of development, is your job both still like business strategy and content creation? That's a good question. So our team, which we have a lot of wonderful creatives on our team. We have folks that are in LA. We have a, um, a couple of folks in LA. And then we also have a couple of folks in New York and then some in DC that work with me. Um, and you know, my bosses are in DC as well. And I do more primarily the things I do. And we kind of split the team up in this way. Some people, we have a couple of folks that just do internal development. And what that means is doing a bit of what I was doing kind of in a hybrid in that kid space where it's all internal development. They come up with potential talent options as well as creative ideas that for series that work for the, the brand. And they're constantly milling those ideas. Then we, myself and a couple of others that work in the same space as me, it's two other ones with me. And we essentially have all the net, all the production and agency relationships. And through them, they're pitching us nonstop different ideas. We go wide in a lot of things to say, here's what we're looking for. This is a new space we're now playing in that we hadn't before. Here are some type talent that we'd love to get access to if they have existing relationships. And then times we will take some of those internal ideas our teams came back with, or we'll suggest to them, hey, you should connect or we connect them with that production partner that can best tell 
that series idea or shape it and further develop what they have in mind that hits all the points that we want and then kind of develop that out. So I do what we call kind of external development. And I still do some internal. I mean, we do that too, but our primary focus is to build new relationships. So I also seek out new production partners. I find new agencies, agents, and then I find new talent. You know, oh, I saw this great new talent. I think they'd be great in this space. And then we kind of see internally how we think about that. And then I'll align them with a production company that we will then take and do further development to get it to a series pitch idea. So that's what I do. It's more strategy with creative and talent, um, finding new talent. So when you're looking for new talent and new partners, like what are you looking for? So I'll say specifically now what we're looking for. Um, we have a lot of new talent that I'm excited to say. We just recently announced a series with Jeff Jenkins, who is a travel blogger and well-known as one of the top most 50 notable travel influencers around the world. He is, you know, known for his chubby diaries, but we have a new series with him that he has now been, we've been greenlit on. And that's one that I developed with my partner, Sydney, and we just saw him through hit and run, we connected, they gave us a lot of talent options. We were like, there's something I see in him. I love him here. Let's think about a great idea for him. And then we go further and start shaping what that best version that's authentic to him looks like. And so with that said, I'm looking for more diverse faces. That's always what we're going to continue to look for. And just because we've had such a robust number of white males that have been leading a lot of the network stories and collectively as a team, we recognize we want to broaden that a lot more. And then that also offers us new stories that we can tell that we haven't thought about before. And the good news is that we're even more open to more general entertainment. So I want to do shows that are very, you know, con culture, culturally um, conscious you know, that are exploring cultures, but other aspects of culture, you know, that's not just grisly kind of challenges in the outdoors. We do some of that, but moving in the direction of Disney Plus as our forever home for content, that audience is more broad. They are more light, bright tonally. It's not life or death stakes. Everything does not have to be like, Lord, if I can't find this uh, mouse and fry him up on this fire to eat, am I going to survive tomorrow? We're not doing that. We need to think about something else. Let's tell another story that is experiencing the outdoors in a joyful way. And so that's why Jeff Jenkins is one. He exudes joy. But the tag and focus that we take with that, which is I love, he says, and I kind of just connected with that. And we use that to help tell the best version for him is he says, life begins outside of your comfort zone. And to me, being a person of color, and I know for other people of color, the outdoors and travel has been something that we haven't really seen as ours to own, you know? And so by him doing that, he's saying, no matter your shape, your size, how you look, if you've been there or not, the best version of you is pushing yourself beyond places that you didn't think were possible for yourself. So get out there, experience the world in a way that you've never seen before or done before. And I guarantee you'll be the best version of yourself. So that is the show essentially, it's him taking on these different challenges around the world. 
And so I want to have more women that are telling that, women of color. I have some sh ideas that are in the pipeline now that are being shaped for that in mind. Um, I want us to tell our perspective and story, what it's like for us in different areas. We're exploring other spaces that we didn't think before, like mental health and faith and beauty and you know fashion potentially. All of these things are very universal subjects that connect with a broad audience, but they bring joy, they make people feel good, they make them excited about things that they potentially could do that they didn't think were possible. So that's what I'm looking for. And then I'm just trying to find, we are looking for A-list talent for some shows, of course, but we're also looking for new faces that have big influence, that have a point of view that's unique. They're doing something in a space that makes them an expert that we then can follow and our audience can connect with. So, so that's what I'm, I'm out there just constantly searching for. I love that. That excites me. That excites me. I swear, I love the Nat Geo brand. I love Nat Geo. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope more people, not just hearing this, but seeing some of the work that we're doing, see that we're really intentional. We're trying. We're trying to do better, be better. And, you know, just follow us on the journey. You're going to see more exciting things to come, you know, that, that resonate with you, I think. Anika, what's Disney on the yard? That is a fun kind of campaign that I have not necessarily led, but have supported. And I'm just so proud of the work that they have done. Um, through some of our HR leadership within Disney, as well as others who are graduates of HBCUs and have taken that ownership of that space, collectively, they have come through and recognized that First is the stigma, or I should say preconception of if you go to an HBCU, somehow you weren't as good and you couldn't get into one of the IVs or something versus recognizing we need to flip that on its head. The best and brightest go to HBCUs, okay? It's not like your easy safe school. You got to work hard to get into HBCU. It's not a given, right? So out of that means that you get the best and brightest, the most talented, which we should be recruiting to come in and work at, Nat, at Disney, Nat Geo, all of the brands. So let's go after that talent. And so intentionally, they made sure through different activations that they created a pipeline to try to access some of the top recruits through mentorship programs that we have currently now. I have mentored probably at least four or five different HBCU either in school at the time or coming out of graduation. So they've created a program that you can do that with a lot of different HBUs throughout the U.S. Um, so we have partnerships with schools that way. Then also they have different um, scholarship programs like at Nacio specifically. I hats off to Karen Greenfield. You know, many times been my partner in crime, also our executive chair of Noir DC. She helped champion at Nat Geo a, our first annual HBCU scholarship program this past year. So we brought in five HBCU students, current students, that are looking to work specifically in Nat Geo space, in media, and align them with different mentors within the company that they got scholarship money, as well as they got direct shadow experience. So I had a mentee 
who I took from this program and mentored them for about three months through that process, teaching and guiding them, connecting them with people, them different internships that they were suggested as well so that they can continue to find their path and passion in the career that they wanted in media. So that as well as other activations they're doing within the Disney on the Yard just to make sure we may have direct pipeline connection to HBCU as well as what do we do when they come in so that ultimately we have positions for that talent that we've now recruited or we've mentored or we've offered internships to and then offer scholarship money so that they can continue to be the best and brightest talent we have at Disney. So hats off to all the work they're doing there. And I'm just glad that I'm able to support and be a part of it. That's so dope. Again, I told you I love y'all. Y'all put y'all y'all money where your mouth is. <laughs> we we're we're trying every which way. And I'll say this: the folks within Disney, a lot of the people of color, heads as well as members of place, um, different organizations, the Black organizations like Noir DC, The Bond, you know Wakanda. There's so many others across the different Disney brands that collectively as well as individually do a lot of the heavy lifting and push our corporate leadership to say these are the areas we need to make sure that we are connecting and we're doing better in. So it is definitely a collective effort in pushing a lot of the new initiatives, programming, content, talent that we have within the Disney family. Yeah. Okay, we got time for one more. And it kind of it kind of feeds into pipeline, right? So you speak a lot about more diverse voices, more diverse voices, and um, I believe, right? Like one of the reasons why we don't have so many diverse voices is because we don't have a lot of powerful diverse voices in you know, the, the big seats at the, right. in the, in executive roles, like, what do you think is needed in order for that to change and really have a strong impact on our industry? That's a great question. And agreed. We don't, we don't have enough of those seats and their C-suites essentially in the corporate world is that they are the decision makers, you know, um, they are the ones essentially that not just decide who's going to be a manager or supervisor type role, but these are the organizations that we're going to make sure that we are aligned with. Overall, these are are the standards we're going to hold our executives accountable for in terms of their hiring practices, as well as how they manage within, as well as as we we create content or different products, experiences in the Disney parks and all of these other things that we are making sure we are intentional about how we elevate different people, you know, of color, not just black people, but all people of color, Asian and LGBTQIA plus, but all underrepresented people that we are intentional about that. So in terms of getting access to that C-suite, there's been some work that has been done. I'll say this in terms of just women, as well as people of color getting access to those seats, it's going to be a huge decision-making in terms of how then our brands look in the future moving forward. I feel like it is hard 
uh, hard to get to those positions, but a part of moving up in the executive levels I've found for myself is having great mentors. You can only see and experience those positions, those suites, based on being either in the direct experience with someone who's there to show you the way. And that's why it's important. And I say for myself as one level of executive, I'm not even senior level of executive, but to then reach back and get that other person who's trying to get to where you are. And then also making sure to see them when they come to apply for those positions. Another thing that Disney is doing is they have a executive mentorship program that they use as a training space, executive leadership programs. And so different, different levels of executives will see others like myself and others and say, okay, I want to make sure they get into these, this position, this training program, this mentorship program, so that they then can be elevated to that next position. Cause I see the potential in them. So thankfully that pipeline has been created now to try to start that work. Um, short of that, you don't want to turn out around and say, okay, I got to be here for 25 years before somebody sees me to get into that next position, right? You want to make sure that there is equal playing field when it comes to the time invested as well as the skills you've acquired to get there. So, so yeah, still work to be done, but there are steps being made to try to create space for more people that look like me and um, other people of color. Anika, you are just such a gem. Oh, thank you. You say such nice things. I love this. Can I come back? I just, if I could just be fed this, my spirit would feel so full, you know, every day, just hearing all these wonderful things. I, I appreciate it, but uh, honestly, I'm joking, but I appreciate the kind words. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for being such a great partner to Hugh being so gracious and giving of your time, your knowledge, your expertise, your advice. Like people need this information so bad. They don't, so many people don't have direct access to you, but Hugh's leadership does. So we want to use it as a vessel and a, a catalyst to feed information back to the humans that we love. So we're so grateful. Uh, for your time and your contribution. Of course. And I love that reference, humans. I love that. Yeah, definitely. I'm always willing and, and however I can make myself available, I am. All right. I appreciate you. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all other humans. Love you, you know, and we'll continue to partner together to do this work.